Section 1 of Harper's Young People, Volume 1, Issue 14, February 3, 1880. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. Harper's Young People, Volume 1, Issue 14, February 3, 1880. The House Sparrow. The English house sparrow, a pert, daring little bird, which is seen in crowds in almost all cities of the northern United States, was first brought to this country about twenty years ago. It is said the first specimens were liberated in Portland, Maine, where they immediately made themselves at home and began nest-building and worm-catching as eagerly as when in their native air. Others were soon brought to New York City and set free in the parks. At that time, New York, Brooklyn, and other cities were suffering from a terrible visitor, the loathsome measuring worm, which made its appearance just as the trees had become lovely with fresh spring green. It infested the streets in armies, hung in horrible webs and festoons from the branches of the shade trees, and ruined the beauty and comfort of the city during the pleasantest season of the whole year. About the first of July, when the worm finished its work, the trees appeared stripped and bare, as if scathed by fire, and a second budding resulted only in scanty foliage late in the season. A month after the worm disappeared, its moth, a small white creature pretty enough except for its connections, fluttered by thousands through the city, depositing its eggs for the worm of another year. Desperate measures seemed necessary to stop this nuisance, and the question of cutting down all the trees was seriously considered. But relief was at hand. A gentleman, an Englishman, proposed an importation of sparrows, and soon hundreds of these brown-coated little fellows were set loose in different cities. They at once became public pets. Little houses were nailed up on trees and balconies for them to nest in. Sidewalks and window seals were covered with crumbs for their breakfast, and boys were forbidden to stone them or molest them in any way. Now, although the sparrow is very willing to feed on breadcrumbs and seeds, and save itself the trouble of hunting for its dinner, by a wise provision of nature the little ones, until they are fully fledged, can eat only worms and small flies and bugs. As the sparrows have three or four broods during the warm weather, they always have little ones to feed at the very season when worms and other insects destructive to vegetation are the most plentiful. An English naturalist states that in watching a pair of sparrows feeding their little ones, he saw them bring food to the nest from thirty to forty times every day, and each time from two to six caterpillars or worms were brought. It is easy to see from this estimate how quickly the tree worms would disappear, as proved to be the case in the cities where the sparrows were set free. A very few years after they were introduced, not a worm was to be seen. The trees now grow undisturbed in their leafy beauty all through the summer, and many children will scarcely remember the time when their mothers went about the streets where shade trees grew carrying open umbrellas in sunny days and starry evenings to protect themselves from the constantly dropping worms it is no wonder that every one is gratefully affectionate to the sparrow they are very social little birds and are entirely happy amid the noise and dirt and confusion of the crowded street they are bold and saucy too and will stand in the pathway pecking at some stray crust of bread until nearly run over when they hop away, scolding furiously at being disturbed. They are fond of bathing, and after a rain may be seen in crowds 
fluttering and splashing in the pools of water in the street the cold winter does not molest them they continue as plump and jolly and independent as ever and chirp and hop about as merrily on a snowy day as during summer in the new york city parks these little foreigners are carefully provided for prettily built rustic houses may be seen all over central park put up for their especial accommodation during the summer when doors and windows are open the sparrows hold high revels in the central park menagerie they go fearlessly into the eagle's cage bathe in his water dish and make themselves very much at home in the cages occupied by pigeons pheasants and other larger birds the sparrows are more often troublesome thieves they can easily squeeze through the coarse network and no sooner are the feed dishes filled with breakfast than they crowd in and take possession scolding and fluttering and darting at the imprisoned pigeons and pheasants if they dare to approach the smaller parks of new york city contain each about two hundred houses for the sparrows some of them are of very simple construction being made of a piece of tin leader pipe about ten inches long with a piece of wood fitted in each end a little round doorway is cut for the birds to enter and they seem perfectly happy in these primitive quarters feed and water troughs are provided and it is the duty of the park keeper to fill them every morning the birds know the feeding hour and come flying eagerly pushing and scolding and tumbling together in their hurry for the first mouthful the greedy little things eat all day school children come trooping in and share their luncheon with them and even idle and ragged loungers on the park benches draw crusts of bread from their pockets and throw the sparrows a portion of their own scanty dinner it is very easy to study the habits of the sparrow for it is so bold and sociable that if a little house is nailed up in the balcony or by a window where people are constantly sitting a pair of birds will at once take possession bring twigs and bits of scattered threads and wool for a nest and proceed to rear their noisy little family chirp chirp very loud and impatient three or four little red open mouths appear at the door of the house the parent bird comes flying with worms and flies and then for a little while the young ones take a nap and keep quiet when they wake up again and renew their clamor for food if houses are not provided the sparrow will build in any odd corner a chink in the wall or in the nooks and eaves of buildings a pair of london sparrows once made their nest in the mouth of the bronze lion over northumberland house at charing cross they are very much attached to their nests and after the little speckled eggs are laid will cling to it even under difficulties the sailors of a coasting vessel once lying in a scotch port frequently observed two sparrows flying about the topmast one morning the vessel put to sea when to the astonishment of the sailors the sparrows followed evidently bent upon making the voyage crumbs being thrown on the deck they soon became familiar and came boldly to each hopping about as freely as if on shore a nest was soon discovered built among the rigging fearing it might be demolished by a high wind at the first landing the sailors took it carefully down and finding that it contained four little ones they carried it on shore and left it in the crevice of a ruined house the parent birds followed evidently well pleased with the change and when the vessel sailed away they remained with their young family much has been written about the mischievous doings of the sparrow and war has been waged against it to a certain extent both here and in england but the sparrow holds its ground well and proves in many ways that even if it may drive away 
robins and injured grain fields now and then it more than balances these misdeeds by the thousands of caterpillars mosquitoes and other insects which it destroys thus saving the life of countless trees and plants the whole year round it is the same active bustling jolly creature and our cities would be lonely and desolate without this little denizen of the street the brave patriot in seventeen eighty after the fall of charleston the british commander had issued a proclamation to the people of south carolina calling upon them to return to their allegiance and offering protection to all who did so the men inhabiting the tract of country stretching from the santee to the pedee selected one of their number to repair to georgetown the nearest british post to ascertain the exact meaning of the offer and what was expected of them in accordance with his instructions major john james sought an interview with captain artisoy the commandant of georgetown and demanded what was the meaning of the british protection and upon what terms the submission of the citizens was to be made he was informed roughly that the only way to escape the hanging which they so justly deserved was to take up arms in his majesty's cause james not relishing the tone and manner of the british officer coolly replied that the people whom he came to represent would scarcely submit on such conditions artisoif unaccustomed to contradiction and enraged at the worthy major's use of the term represent which smote harshly on his ears sprang to his feet and with his hand on his sword exclaimed represent if you dare speak in such language i will have you hung at the yard-arm major james was weaponless but in his anger was equal to the occasion seizing the chair upon which he had been sitting he floored his insulter at a blow and giving his enemy no time to recover mounted his horse and escaped to the woods before pursuit could be attempted his people soon assembled to hear his story and their wrath was kindled at hearing how their envoy had been received required to take the field it needed not a moment to decide under which banner and the result was the formation of marion's brigade which won such fame in the swampy regions of the south end of section one